Hey, this is Jason, lead pastor of Casper Alliance Church. This is our midweek talk. Uh, today we're going to be talking about Melchizedek. Uh, once again, there's a lot of content in Genesis, and it's uh, difficult to fill it all in on a Sunday morning. So I've decided to add a little midweek conversation. Um, thanks for listening. Hope you have a great week. I was testing out all the equipment here in the uh, in the office, uh, and uh, everything worked fine. Everything seemed to be working fine. And I recorded the midweek talk. It was like, you know, 22 minutes, 23 minutes. It was a little long. I didn't want it to be that long. And uh, I went back to go post it onto YouTube, and the <laughs> the audio didn't work. And I'm not even sure why. I have no clue why. The, the green things are moving back and forth. Who knows? Um, and so... I went back to watch it just to make sure I didn't say anything goofy. I mean, I probably said something goofy, but make sure I was saying things appropriately the way I wanted to, the way I'd kind of like prepped it out. And I'm, I'm looking at my face, and I'm just going like this. And it's 22 minutes of me talking, and there's no sound. So um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do the talk again, which is, you know, maybe a little annoying. It'll probably be different. Uh, you could probably listen to it if you want. It's, it's like, and try to figure out what I said by, by reading my lips. But so I'm just going to do it live. It'll eventually post to YouTube and then I'll share it in an email. And again, um, the idea of the midweek talk has, um, these are going to be like probably, I'm, my goal is to have them be like 12 to 14 minutes, but it, it stretches into like 18, 20, which is like way too long. I get too preachy, which is kind of sad. But the idea is, is like, there's just so much content in this current series going Genesis uh, 12 through 50 this fall that it's really tough. It's really tough to hit everything. And so uh, I decided that we would do, uh, I would do just like a midweek sharing, kind of fill in some of the story parts, and then add some discussion questions on email that we can have them. And then I'm trying to figure out how to post it on the website so that you can see the discussion questions right there. But for the most part, it's it's just to fill in some of the story. There's a lot, you know, there's a lot to be learned to for us to learn, uh, to explore. Um, and so today. Um, the midweek talk, and I actually I might come back and do a little bit more on Friday. I'm not, I haven't decided yet because there's a couple of sections here. Remember, we, on Sunday we covered four chapters, and the focus on Sunday was the relationship between Abram and Lot, and how those two those two characters. Now we're kind of following Abram right now, but how those two uh, how they separated, and Lot went to to Sodom, and just kind of some of the the ideas within those two people, um, Abram and Lot. And and I had two big ideas on Sunday. Um, the, the thoughts on Sunday were this, that, and I had to everybody write them down that, uh, your decisions matter. The decisions you make matter. They're important. Uh, they have, they have lasting effect. Uh, they, they can affect multiple people other than yourself, but your decisions matter. The other thing I said was your proximity to evil matters. I had a couple of great questions after church. People were asking me about this is how in the world, uh, as church people, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, do we uh, minister to others in maybe hard environments or tough environments or dark places or evil places and, and not be close to evil? And, and so there's a distinction that has to be made. And these are great questions because it's true. We have to go into hard places, dark places, tough places and minister to others. But uh, it's really, really uh, critical for us to not camp out. To not let evil make residence in us. So, remember, Lot, when I read this on Sunday, Lot uh, chose the valley 
and said it was good. The water was good, and he decided to move, which is right next to Sodom, and he, he pitched his tent towards Sodom. Now, not just did he live there, but he began to incorporate Sodom and the, and the evil of that society into his own life and become a resident. And so there's a difference between living in a place and actually having the place that you're living in become who you are. And so you have to begin to, to be able to delineate. We have to live in hard spots. We have to be able to minister to hard places. But you can't let that become uh, dwell in you and you begin to reflect that. So there's a couple of like maybe uh, keys or testers to, to help you decipher if you are uh, being affected by the evil that you're close to. One is, so here's the deal. Your decisions, and I'm using the word decisions, but your decisions and your actions should reflect who you follow. So your decisions, your actions should reflect that you love Jesus. Anything other than that becomes something else. So Abram's decisions, his actions needed to reflect that he was following God. When he went down to Egypt, he went south and he kind of failed after he's called out in, in Genesis 12 to go. He, his actions, his decisions did not reflect that he trusted God, did not reflect that he was following God. He, he started to think about self-preservation. He didn't really believe that things were going to get taken care of. Um, he didn't believe that he was because there was famine, that things were going to work out. So as people of God, as people, as followers of Jesus, our, our decisions and our actions need to reflect that we are truly followers of Jesus. As soon as they stop reflecting that, your proximity to evil is actually becoming part of who you are. That's a, a simple way to, to kind of figure that out. Um, and I think that's worth asking every day. I mean, think about all the decisions and actions that you make every day, all the things that you think about, all the things that you say, all the things that you do, all the things that you are, are making progress in. Are those decisions, are those actions reflecting that you love and follow Jesus? If you use that as your matrix, as, as you are ministering to others, it will help keep you safe, hopefully. Okay, midweek talk. Here's what I, that was a, like a run-up, six-minute run-up, a little long, sorry, again. But we're going to talk about Melchizedek. Melchizedek is this character. It picks up in Genesis 14. Remember, we did Genesis 13, 14, and uh, 17 and 18 on Sunday. But I wanted to dive into this character, Melchizedek, because he kind of has an interesting story or peace within the scriptures. And he, and in fact, it's this like, um, this guy that comes out of nowhere, but let me pick it up. Genesis 14. If you're following along, if it later on, when you go watch it on YouTube, if you do, uh, you'll be able to, to jump in with your scriptures. And once again, I'm going to send some discussion questions and kind of some guided, like here's, here's some things to think about or help process through, uh, so that you guys can grow individually in your own households. So anyway, let's pick it up at Genesis 14. This is right after, Abram goes and fights and rescues Lot after they're separated. And, and there's the Battle of the Four Kings I talked about. And so Abram, uh, Abram is about ready to be blessed by this random character, Melchizedek, who seemingly comes out of nowhere. Let's, let's look what the text says. Genesis 14, 17. After his return from the defeat of all the kings who were with him, the king of, the king of Sodom was with him, and he went out to meet at the Valley of Shaveh. That is the king's valley. And verse 18, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. 
And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. So basically, uh, Abram is hedging against uh, hedging against people of the earth saying that they're blessing Abram. He's actually, he's actually uh, saying it only comes from God. The blessing only comes from God. Now remember, let's go back to Genesis 12. Let's read this again. This is the, the whole point, I think, of Scripture. This is where uh, God calls Abram out. Now, uh, Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will be. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, this character Melchizedek, couple of verses in this chapter, comes out of nowhere. Now, Melchizedek is referenced as the king of Salem. Salem is often referred to as as Jerusalem, um, or thought of in Jerusalem. And, and as you look through the Old Testament, you'll see that reference many times: Salem, 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 and and it's thought of as Jerusalem, but also. Melchizedek is referenced as a king and a priest, somebody who, who has authority and rule and also somebody who is an intercessor before God and can bestow a blessing. And so he reads, the, he says the blessing, blessing to Abraham by God most high. And he also uh, uh, gives credit to God who protected Abram and carried him through this battle. And so, so Melchizedek steps in as this intercessory, this peacemaker, this person who takes the king of Sodom and takes Abram and says, this battle, this war is over, and I'm going to initiate a blessing. And, and Abram's response to him is, is the same in which happens to the Levitical law, which would how you respond to priests. He, he tithes. He gave him a tenth of everything he had, and he gives that to, to Melchizedek. And this is it. Melchizedek drops in, and he's out. Just like that, in and out, and everybody's like, who is this guy? And, and you don't hear about him ever again. There's a little reference in, in, um, in the psalm about the order of Melchizedek, so being a priest in the order of Melchizedek, meaning the priest that can come and give blessing to God's chosen one, uh, a, a priest that has authority and intercessory before God, a, a priest who can speak on the behalf of God. And so this is it's an interesting just character who drops in. So why? Why does it matter? Well, it's, it's thought of scholars think that this is where uh, God begins to show Abram that he's going to provide blessing. So what happens here? Uh, from, a, from a logistical standpoint, Melchizedek creates peace. And then all of this land, all of this land that these kings kind of ruled and took over was given to Abram. Given to him to establish. And because of that, the kind of man that Abram was, it not only just was a, a promise of a fulfillment of making his name great, but it also was a promice and a fulfillment of the uh, a fulfillment of the promise that, that God's beginning to bless those around him. So when Abram takes authority to this land, the people and the inhabitants of the land begin to be blessed by Abram and his rule and his authority over, over this group of people, this area. And, and so it, it's creating uh, a, an initiation of a fulfillment of Genesis chapter 12, this blessing, this promise that God has already, this covenant that God has made with Abram. Now, why is Melchizedek important? Now, we're going to get off Abram for just a second. 
Now, Abram, he comes up just a little bit in what I'm going to read you, but like, flip over to Hebrews. The author of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 7, begins to talk about Melchizedek as an important character. And it's, it has more to do with the relationship that the priests have with the people as an intercessory and a, and a, a person who's able to give blessing or, or speak on behalf of God or provide on behalf of God. So let's pick it up in Hebrews. This is really important because, again, and I'm never going to get tired of this, all of Scripture points towards Jesus. All of Scripture points towards redemption. And the author of Hebrews is, is recognizing that Abram is a key figure in the people. The, the, the Israelites, the Hebrews, uh, faith line, that he's a patriarch, and, and this very important person who gave a blessing, Melchizedek, needs to be looked at and be told that there's actually somebody greater. So let's, let's look at what the author of Hebrews says about Melchizedek real quick. And this is, the, this is where he comes up back up in Scripture. This is the New Testament kind of focus on Melchizedek, which is pretty wild. So, verse 1, chapter 7 of Hebrews. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also the king of Salem. This is referring to, to Melchizedek, describing who he is. He is the first by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. So not only is he righteous, king of righteousness, authority over righteousness, but he's also authority over peace. He is without a father or mother or genealogy, meaning he has no origin story in Scripture. He, like, literally comes from nowhere. Having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues as a priest forever. So the, the people looked at Melchizedek as this, like, incredible character who initiated blessing to Abram, the patriarch and founder and father of their faith. So see how great this man is, verse 4, to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils and those descendants of Levi, and he goes into kind of the, the behavior that we have with priests. And, and, and then, verse 11, the writer of Hebrews begins to compare Jesus to Melchizedek. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it, it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, for the for which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, in connection with the tribe of Moses, said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, there's somebody who has come in the order of Melchizedek. You guys love Melchizedek. I've got somebody else that has way more superior authority than Melchizedek even. Who has become a priest, not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of the indestructible life. Meaning Jesus survived death. He was resurrected from the grave. And by that power, he has become a priest. For his witness, and this is uh, verse 17, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through the person of Christ for which we draw near to God. Very, very fascinating. 
Now, the, the point of Hebrews is, is to make uh, the people know that Jesus is superior. He's superior to us. He's superior to the angels. He is the greatest. Uh, he is uh, the assurance of salvation. He is uh, above every sort of sacrifice. He is the supreme uh, intercessory, intermediary. He is the new covenant. And this is where we should put our faith. That Jesus it can satisfy all things. Okay. Why does that matter? Well, what's happening here is the initiation of the blessing, blessing by Melchizedek. Melchizedek became a, a, had a hierarchy within the, within the Jewish people, the Hebrew people. And now we want to introduce Jesus as even greater than. Verse, chapter 8, uh, my subtitle says, Jesus is a high priest of a better covenant. Now, this is a, I love the way chapter 8 starts in Hebrews. I know I'm reading a lot of scripture right now while I'm talking to you. Now, the point... The point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in a true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all since there were priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountains. But as, as it is, Christ obtained a ministry that as, is more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For the first covenant had been faultless, then there had been no need or occasion to look for a second. So referring back to the first covenant made by Abram to make a blessing, to, to, to bless, to make your great name great, to, to bless all the nations because of you. What, what the writer of Hebrews is saying, Jesus is better than that covenant. He is greater than that covenant. He supersedes that covenant. The new covenant in Christ wins. And so, uh, and then... Then one more knot in Scripture to tie, and this is uh, Jeremiah the prophet is, is giving this prophecy to the people. And this is after the patriarchs. This is after the judges. This is after uh, rescue from Egypt. This is after, you know, this is exile people. These are people who are, who are stuck in captivity. And here's what happens. Here's what Jeremiah says from the, from the Lord says to Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with the fathers in the day when I took them by the hand and bring them out to the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them. Remember, the Israelites up and down, failing, uh, succeeding, failing, succeeding, rejecting, following, rejecting, following. It's, it's the way, <laughs> it's the way we all are actually. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God. I will establish a personal relationship with them. I will be so intimate with them as what the new covenant will be intimate, relatable. You'll be able to touch and feel. It won't be passed down like the patriarch. It's, it, is, it is new. It, it will touch your soul is what, what, if you get into the nuts and bolts of this. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother's saying know the lord but they shall actually know me from the least of them to the greatest meaning it doesn't matter where you sit it doesn't matter if you're a high priest if you're if you're just a, uh, a lowly peasant 
everyone, least to greatest, will know because this covenant under Jesus is greater than all the covenants prior before. For I will be merciful towards their sin, their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of the new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away, meaning Jesus is supreme. So it's interesting that this character Melchizedek has this place that the, the Hebrew writer uses to prop up to show that Jesus is more important than that he is a supreme covenant, that he, the new covenant under Christ actually trumps this guy Melchizedek. That's the connection in scripture. And Jeremiah is pointing to that as well. Hey, uh, that's what I wanted to share. This, it, there's some neat little stuff in here. I, um, I will send out an email uh, with, with some ideas and some ways to maybe discuss. Uh, remember, the first time I talked with about this new series, my perspective isn't always the best perspective. Uh, there's ways in which we can look at the, these texts. I'm not pretending like I'm the authority. I, I just want to begin to expose us so that we can learn and understand what the biblical authors are trying to teach us about following Jesus, about following God to be shaped, to be a blessing to the nations. And that's, that's really what's happening here. And so uh, I, hope th- I hope this was encouraging to you. It's exciting to me that, that we continue to point towards Jesus all through Scripture and that, that the, the biblical authors are, are continually reminding us that Jesus, this personal connection that we have to God through the person of Christ, is supreme over all. And that is what needs to uh, motivate, align, and help make our decisions and, and guide us as we live this day. Hey, have a great day. Uh, talk to you soon.